Do you struggle to find answers to your pelvic health problems? Do you feel silenced in your quest to just feel better? Women, girls, sisters, if you have experienced infertility, PCOS, incontinence, painful periods, sexual trauma, and so much more associated with the pelvis, then Women's Pelvis Wellness is a place for you. Me and experts from around the world are joining here to get you the answers to the holistic health that you have been seeking. Please join us in being a pelvis wellness warrior. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Women's Pelvis Wellness. Today, my guest is Tara Galliano, and her business is called Rediscovering My Body. And it's also the name of her book and her YouTube channel and her website. So that's right, just keeping it really easy. And you are a certified sex therapist and you specifically work with women, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Helping them find pleasure again. Yes. Uh -huh. That's Amongst also many cool. other things. Amongst many other things. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. What I find is that oftentimes women connect with me because they want to experience more pleasure in their life. Yes. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So just, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, several different kind of aspects of this, of this conversation, but just share with us kind of how you got on this path and how, you know, what led you to here. Wonderful. Well, th thank you so much, Amy, for having me. I really appreciate being here. And yeah, I'll share a little bit more about me and my journey. So it's not like I was a little girl and I, you know, was dreaming I'd be a sex therapist one day. It wasn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know many girls who have that dream yet. Uh, yeah, I'm not yet. But for me, because I didn't grow up in a sex positive household, um, we weren't really talking about sex and sexuality. It didn't even become a thought to me until my much later on in my journey. But as a child, what I dreamed about is I dreamed about being an educator and expanding people's languages. And literally I would have dreams about it. So it was very interesting because in a way that's what I do is I help expand people's language around sex and sexuality. Because oftentimes I find that we don't have a fluency. We don't have a comfort. We don't have words for naming right. our body parts or our experiences. Yeah. So, it's, you know, this kind of this no man's land or no woman's right. land out there where it's a desert. And so really helping people be able to conceptualize for themselves and words help us do that. So we can kind of land within ourselves of how do we name ourselves and how do we claim pleasure? So all that to say that I, I did become an educator because that was my dream. I taught English and that Beowulf and Macbeth kind of got in the way of me knowing my students. And so I thought I need to get rid of all this content and get to knowing them. And then I thought, oh, I really, what I really need to do is become a therapist. And so I went back to school. I went to graduate school for psychology, became a licensed professional counselor. And then all of my clients were talking to me about sex and sexuality, sexual identity, their relationships. They wanted to know more. And, and I felt very honored to be able to have this conversation with them and recognize that I had no education, no academic credentials to do such, just only my own 
personal experience. So I needed to get up to speed with my professional experience. And so I became a certified sexologist. Um, then I became a certified sex therapist. And in the meantime, I was doing a private practice in Boulder, Colorado, talking to people about sex and sexuality, which is the nice thing about the Wild West. At least at that time, you can hang out a shingle and say what it is that you do and be left alone as long as you're not doing any harm to others. And, and so sure. I was able to grow into that and then got all of the certification and credentials to establish me as such. And so now I would say I'm a sexual empowerment coach because it's beyond my licensure of therapy. It really is helping women become more embodied. Sure. So what is the difference between a sexologist and a certified sex therapist? That's a great question. So a sexologist, I would say, is just an expert in the area of sex. So ologist is kind of, I would say, that, that expertist um, thing. But, but a sex therapist is someone who specializes in therapy that focuses in on sex and sexuality. And so I'd say that's a very specific title. And so it is a privilege, a privileged title. You just right. can't pick out your shingle and say that uh, to yeah. say the certified sex therapist, there's some rigor there. There's some stringency in the credentialing. And so I went through all of that process to sure. Clear that I had the education to provide sex therapy. And so when people are coming to me for sex therapy, they're looking specifically at sexual dysfunctions, erectile dys dysfunction, uh, premature ejaculation, um, something that's in the DSM-5. So something that might have more of a clinical bent to it. That's, okay. that's, that's what I would say the difference is. Whereas a sexologist can probably speak about a lot of different things about sex and sexuality. Um, they're not trained in the therapy aspect. Yeah, because that's what I was wondering. I said, well, what I was thinking, what aspect of sex, like physically or hormonally or emotionally or socially or spiritually? So, yeah, that's a lot because I mean, it's all it all plays a part. So, it's I mean, it's, it does. And I, I think that's great because I think that really broadens what sex is. And I mm -hmm. and I think as a sex therapist, oftentimes people have a very narrow view, um, whereas sex therapy encompasses all of those things. Is right. sex spiritual? How do I make it more spiritual? How do I have more pleasure with my partner? It's not just about the anatomical functioning. It is right. about so much more. It's about how we're relating emotionally with our partner, our partners. So it, there's so much to it. Sure. Right. Well, and just, you know, the realization that, um, you know, sex and pleasure and intimacy is so much more than intercourse or even just physical touch, period. There's so much more to it that you can find pleasure in. And also um, finding pleasure in not only just sexually, you know, like finding pleasure in how it feels when you put lotion on your skin, you know, yeah. after a shower or like, I love when people play with my head my hair, like when they, like my daughters or, you know, my son, my youngest sometimes will brush my hair. Like it's, it, I don't know what it is about that. I think it's just the fascia and it tingles all the way down. I just love that. So there's a lot of different ways to look at pleasure and also at sexual pleasure. Yes. Uh -huh. Wow. You just sound like an expert in sensuality. I like, I love that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've had, I've had the opportunity to learn from a lot of, you know, just situations with clients or, um, and, and again, I don't have any clinical training into any mental health 
you know, or psychological health at all. Um, but I understand the energy of, you know, the energy that just kind of follows all of those things and where it will physically settle in the body usually. Yes. Uh-huh, yes. I love that. And I want to explore that more as we go deeper into the conversation, but I want to just acknowledge that the, the senses and that there's so much pleasure in our sensual experiences is so important because I think oftentimes we want to go to the titillation factor. We want to go to the orgasm. We want to go to the sexual right. experience and bypass all of the things that get us there, which are equally, sometimes if not more important, that we can have the essential experience of somebody rubbing our hair and feeling pleasure with that and feeling like that is good to feel pleasure, like that is our birthright and that it is not sexual, but it is a sensual experience. And I think oftentimes that we forget that. And for me as a sex therapist, that's one of the biggest reminders that I have to give to people. It's like, what is a sensual experience? How do you experience pleasure in your everyday life? Yes. And what I've noticed too, like when you talk to men and women about fantasies and so many times the men's fantasies, well, every time that I've ever experienced or spoken with, every time it's something that is just physical. Mm-hmm. And with women, you ask them and I mean, especially like with myself personally and, you know, close knit friends and other people I've talked to on the podcast for women, it seems like it always includes time. You know what I mean? Like make a whole day of it and have the whole day be fun and playful and flirty and then have that culmination at the end. And, you know, for, I don't know, it's just interesting how just we think about it and we experience it so much different than men. So the (laughs) fantasies are like, oh yeah, this and that and la la la. And then women are like, Oh, it's all sensual and playful and, you know, yeah but you know yeah I mean I think that's so true and that women want to incorporate the romance and the seduction and it's not just about the physical stimulation whereas men do tend to focus in on that and their brains are wired differently they also get visual stimulation into their neocortex that sends them off whereas that's not so much a as an important factor. I think it is probably a little bit for women, but more important is the emotional connection. And again, those are gross generalizations, but also that it has something to do with our wiring and the way that our brains are wired and that men are very different from women. And so if you're in a heterosexual couple, that can really translate as, I don't understand the other person. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, part of it is just basic biology, yes. you know, yes. I mean, we, you know, sometimes we, we can't control the hormones, you know? No, no. But as we get older, it does change and hormones change and then our desire changes and what right. turns us on changes. And I'd say particularly for women that uh, the arousal may precede the desire in, in the past when we're more hormonal, we may have the desire and then the arousal and then the sexual experience. But when we're older, we may need the arousal first, which is really just a sexual stimulation or sensual touch that gets us to the place of desire. And then we might be able to engage in a sexual experience. So I like this idea of fantasy because that is a pathway or that is a map to help us understand 
about things that we want to explore or the way that we experience things. Because what it is that we think about is also what we experience. It's powerful stuff. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So what would you say is, I mean, you know, something really common, you know, that you work with as far as like maybe a roadblock or something to women finding pleasure? I'd say the biggest thing that I find is oftentimes that we as women are raised in a more performative paradigm. So we're referencing outside of ourselves. So it's like, we're thinking, okay, how do I please this person? How do I get what it is that they need to happen instead of focusing in on our own pleasure? Because when we're able to focus in on our own pleasure, then it brings things to a different level of experience, that there's more level of arousal, that there's a heightened level of pleasure. But oftentimes I'd say that's not where we begin. And kind of like in the airplane, they tell you to put your life mask on for the oxygen on first on yourself and then put it on the other person. It's like, we need to do that in almost all aspects of our life. I can't think of one that you don't do that first, but we need to do that in pleasure. So reclaiming pleasure is about reclaiming our own personal experience of pleasure before we think about our partner or partner's pleasure. That's what I'd say is the biggest thing, most common thing. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And, and that's one thing that I work with women on is being able to really like remain in your body in the present moment and Mm -hmm. feel everything that's happening in the room, because there's so many times when we just, yeah, we just leave our body. We're outside of ourselves and it's just happening, but we're not really being an active participant, you know, sometimes. How do you get women to do that? So my work, um, I work in the pelvic area of the body externally only, and I work through visceral manipulation. So very, very deep massage work. Um, I'm, I'm literally trying to feel the structures and restore blood flow, release adhesions, maybe change the tissue, uh, the, t- the growth of like scar tissue. Um, just to give all of those area, that whole area, really a huge detox. And I just say, you need to shake shit up once in a while. Yeah. You so, I mean, that's an area of our body that really isn't touched in a lot of positive ways. And a lot of times when it is touched, it, it's by someone who wants something from you. No, isn't touched very often by people who want something only for you, nothing in return. Yeah. I so like as, as I'm, as I'm working very deeply in that area, I also incorporate Holy Fire Reiki, which is like the energetic manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which is just pure unconditional love. So they're getting this physical, basically disruption in their body while they're being supported energetically because energy blocks and emotional blocks are stored in the body. So as we're releasing all of that, the whole body is having like a detox, but the energy aspect it comes into support. So as they're releasing stagnation, physical toxins, emotional toxins, um, energy, stuff like that, um, they are going to, their, as it, their energy system, their chakra system of the body will balance much easier. And they're able then to tap into their higher self, who they really are, energetically that's where your safety is that's where 
your power center is. So if you don't feel safe, yes, then how are you ever going to experience pleasure? How are you going to trust yourself? How are you going to know your confidence? How are you going to know your self-worth if you don't feel safe? That's just basic. So I start there. I start, that's where I start. And once, and then if they choose to work further with me, then we can also take, you know, like a deeper dive, but um, it starts with really kind of doing a whole energetic and physical detox of the body. Yeah. And so is it similar to mine abdominal massage? Um, it's not. Um, well, no, it's not because this is much deeper. Much deeper. It's much deeper. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm also an intuitive. So I do also incorporate intuitive guidance and essential oils in with this. So when a woman comes to me, she's getting physical support, energetic support, um, with the oils. And then also, like you said, the, if they are open to it, the intuitive piece also. I see. So that can really help release a lot of emotional trauma because mm-hmm. trauma energetically is stored in your abdomen and pelvic area. That's mm-hmm. where energetically it is. So mm-hmm. as it's being released, um, I mean, it it can, it helps with so many things. I mean, women can then go on to conceive or to not pee their pants or yeah. to, you know, their endometriosis can massively mm-hmm. improve um, yeah. so many, so many issues, you know, yeah. trauma from, you know, a really traumatic um, birth or C-section. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the work of Tammy Kent? I don't. Aha. She yeah, has a, I would like to. Yeah, she has a TEDx talk called The Vagina Whisperer. And this is is the work that she does. And she's a physical therapist and she does internal vaginal massage. And she wrote a book called The Divine, uh, The Divine, The Wild uh, Feminine. And then she also wrote a book about the masculine, the wild creative. And I've studied with her. And so her work sounds very similar in that she is intuitive and she's also an empath. But she also can do this work remotely as well because she, and you do this work remotely as well. I can. Yep. Obviously not the physical hands-on part, Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Every other part of it, I definitely can. And, you know, I really, my goal is to get people to see the connection between their physical health and their energy and emotions. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) I really want them to see that because once they see that connection, yeah, I think, you know, then they'll be able to realize, hey, you know, if I don't allow these emotions to control me, then my life's going to mm-hmm. be a lot easier, you know? I love that. Um, yeah. So going along with some of the stuff that I just said, how do you help, like, if, you know, if people had like an intensely, like sexually traumatic childhood or young adulthood and now you know, they're older and they really, you know, they're in a safe, respectful relationship and they just, you know, they want to reclaim that part. They want to have that pleasure again with this loving partner, but like this, just all this fear about, you know, this early trauma, how do you kind of help them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also agree. I think that the 
pelvis holds a lot of trauma. Um, and I, I just want to reference a story from Tammy Kent before I answer your question more yeah. directly, is that Tammy Kent tells a story about working in women in Portland, Oregon on 9-11, um, and at that time, she was noticing this contraction in their pelvic area because she was working internally. And it was, you know, woman after woman. And then she recognized that at that time, there was this um, goodness at the same time was this awful event, this tragedy in New York City and in, in D.C. and in Pennsylvania. And that that it is not. Uh, exclusive. So even though we may feel like it's just this geographic location that was impacted, it ripples out. And not only does it ripple out and we're all imp impacted because we're all interconnected, but it is actually impacting our physiology and that she could read that within the pelvis or within the pelvic area of those women. That to me was such a phenomenal story and really striking because it it's indicative of how, of energy, really, of how, how the energy contracts when there's a trauma. So because it's and how not- how connected we really are. And how connected we really are. Uh -huh. The time and space are constructs that we put over this life so we can live more effectively sometimes. And um, that is also how we live within our bodies and how trauma is experienced, that we need to release the trauma on a cellular level. And part of that process is a restoration of the nervous system, because there is a lot of contraction um, that happens to the physiology in the experience of trauma. And also the nervous system becomes, I'd say, hyper aroused. And so that anything that kind of taps into the being's field, our, our fields, into our energy field, then gets us agitated and, and we might be more reactive when we're in a tra trauma response because we've had trauma in our past. And so the, the resolution of that is, I would say, persistent and continuous behaviors that would restore the nervous system, such as shaking. So you can see that out in nature. So if a predator is chasing a prey and the little rabbit escapes, it shakes, right? Because it's releasing the neurochemical cocktail that has been infused into its body and it just needs to be discharged and needs right. to just shake it out. And once that's shaken out, then the um, the homeostasis of the nervous system of the, the rabbit can be restored. And that is something that we don't do. We're like, oh, I don't want to shake. I'm going to look like a weirdo. Or I don't want to shake because I don't even know how because that feels weird. And if, I, and if I shake, am I going to be able to stop it? Or am I always going to be able to shake? It's all of these fears enter into our mind and then we don't have the release. And so because there's not the full resolution that happens throughout our body, we need to figure out how to engage that in other ways. That's why there's modalities like brain spotting and EMDR, Peter Levine's work, somatic experiencing. The work that I do is a trauma releasing exercises by Dr. Bracelli, which are the, the invoking of the neurogenic tremors, which means that it just begins in the brain, but it is shaking that happens to restore the nervous system. And it's not, again, one and done because we're all interconnected. It's right. like there's layers of it. There's layers of it for me. There's layer of, layers of it for you. And I, if we're in the same room, I could be shaking because you had an experience and I'm helping you release it. It's you know, right. amplify that experience. So it's mm -hmm. a 
a wondrous process and, and I love it. And I think it's so profoundly important. What I love about it is that if I teach it to you, you can do it. You can share it with your kids. You know it. You got all the tools that you need to do it on a regular and consistent basis, which is often what it takes. It's the consistency I find that matters most. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're working with somebody, I'm assuming you probably work with them solo, but then they're, do they incorporate their partners as well? Um, I work with all types of people and groups and I work with individuals. Uh, that's true. I do work with couples. I also work with groups of women. I'm going to be leading a webinar later on today. So I, I love the whole variety and I actually prefer groups because I think one-on-one is a very good, intimate, direct experience. And sometimes it's a great place to start, Mm -hmm. but when we're in all of our capacity and we're in all of who we are, we need to show up for everybody in the group. And it's not just you and I, but it's how do we include our sisters? So when we're in a group setting, I find that it's just so much more multidimensional, so much more healing that can happen. And it's exponentially more powerful in that setting. Well, and I mean, you know, when women come together, we're incredibly powerful. Uh And there's also (laughs) power in there's also power in hearing, obviously, that you're not alone. And that's what I tell women is, you know, you don't have to sing from the mountaintops. You don't have to go on podcasts. You don't have to publicly talk about any of your pelvic health struggles, but be a space, like have your person be a space for other women to just speak, start talking about these things because, you know, we have been silenced for so long that we start to set that we silence ourselves. We silence other women. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, about all these public health struggles and so many times there could be a really easy fix or a much less invasive fix. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's just, there are so many things that I'm learning that I didn't even know. I didn't even know could happen to a woman or, or didn't know the name of it, you know, even just probably four years ago. Yep. Me you too. Know? Everything. Yep. Yeah. Love it. I did want to ask too, um, when do you think is a good age to start talking to kids about sex from a pleasure standpoint, not just a safety standpoint and how do we do that? Or do you not, do not, um, like focus on kids at all or, um, well, I mean, I think I focusing in on women, it's like you focus in on kids, right? (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's my experience. I raised a couple of kids. I've got a granddaughter. So I feel like it's always, always in the field. Um, what I like to say for the most part is really to follow their lead. Um, you know, this, my friend told me a joke. It's like, um, this kid was filling out a, a form and he, this child asked the parent, what is sex? And the parent was like, oh my goodness, I can explain what sex is. And then they went into the story and they talked about the birds and the bees and, and the kid's like, okay. And it's just a box here and it says M and it says F. So there's no birds and bees here. <laughs> so really following the lead yeah. of the kid of, okay, what, what is really going to land for them? What are they really going to hear? What are they really asking? Um, and I would say that conversation can begin as young as, you know, three. I, I mean, it, because children can 
especially I would say the females that I know, they begin to self-pleasure or they could begin to self-pleasure at that age. And then there needs to be some sense of normalcy of like, this is what you do. And we do that in the privacy of our room uh, that we want to make sure again, that they're safe and that there's not anything shaming about it, that it's normal. And so that could be the conversation. Does it need to be really expansive? Probably not. Probably just a few words are good. And the reminder of, of how and where to do that. And that's probably it. But really following the lead of the kid is, I find, to be so important because if we don't, we're going over their head. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's very true. Because I know um, I have a son who will be 15 the end of May and a daughter who's 13. And, you know, I've talked to each of them separately a few times. And, you know, her friends are talking about way more advanced things than his friends are, at least so far. Yep. Um, and I was like, well, I was kind of surprised, you know, about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, cause I interviewed a woman, um, she has a stand-up sex ed comedy show podcast. Love it. Yes. Need that. And she said, you know, we really need to have, we need to have conversations about sex with our kids yeah. that don't have to do with like biology and making babies. Like we need to talk about pleasure too. Exactly. Uh Yes, we do. Because nobody, nobody talks about that. Not only do we not talk about that, but we focus in on safety too. It's like how you don't get STDs. So it's not only it's about um, contraceptive conversations, but it's about this is dangerous stuff and you need to be scared. Um, Yeah. And one, one person over all of the course of my work and I've been doing this work for 20 years plus one person said their father and this was a young woman said my father said to me that when I'm sexually active with another person I hope that it is loving I hope that it is kind I hope that you respect the other person that they respect you and I thought that's so beautiful and that's one you know, everybody else, they're like, my parent didn't say anything. Or if they did, then just don't, don't get pregnant. Don't get the other person. Yeah. Pregnant. Yeah. So there's no conversation, but we need to have a sex positive conversation with our children on multiple occasions. It's not one and done, but right. really emphasis is on pleasure. And what is it like to experience an orgasm? And is that okay? Um, you know, is that okay to talk about? And, and all of the conversations that can be had that can then be normalized. Because when we think about that, it's only one conversation, then that's a lot of expectation to put on that one. <laughs> right. No, definitely. Well, and you have to talk to them more than once because they're going to be different ages and different maturity levels and have yeah. a completely different understanding. Yes. I love it. Good. Yeah. So I'd say all, all the time, you know, as, yeah. as often as we can and, and as much as they'll take in. And I find in the teenage years that that's when it's really important because they want to know and they think that um, they don't want to hear it from you, but they're really hanging on your every word as the parent. They're like, they want to know that it's okay to talk about sex and that you've got words for it and that you're not uncomfortable speaking about it. And they want to hear it from you, even if they feel like they're not really looking at you. They're, they're so, yeah, they're so perceptive. They've got their eye on you as a parent and they want to know. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And then they definitely are, they, they notice more than we think they notice. Just yeah. like when they were little, 
Yeah, but even more so because that teenager is what I love about the teenager is that developmental processes. They're so suspect on hypocrisy. They want to know what's true and who's speaking the truth and who's walking it. And they're so suspect because it's like, if you're not telling the truth, I'm not going to believe you. And it's like just a beautiful time and hard as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Yeah. Especially those girls. Well, and you know, the thing is, when you don't teach your kids anything about sex, whether it's about pleasure or safety or anything, if you don't tell them anything, then how can you be upset when they come home pregnant or, you know, maybe they had sex too soon and they just made a poor decision or, you know, maybe they did catch something, how are you going to be upset at them for that when they didn't know? They're just trying to figure it out. Exactly. They're just yeah. trying to figure it out. Love that. So do you ever do any combination men and women groups or is it just what females? Uh, right now, it's just currently women. I have in the past, I've done male and female groups. I'm thinking about hosting a couples workshop at some point. Again, um, a lot of my work in the Boulder area was around cancer and cancer treatment. So I worked with a lot of people who had had a cancer diagnosis, testicular cancer, prostate cancer, and then for women, all different types of cancers. But for men, those two in particular men were really concerned about functionality. And so and working with them and their partners felt really critical. So I would do that in group settings, which was again, very normalizing, very healing. Um, and I think that all that work is important at the time, you know, at this time I'm doing most of my work on zoom. Sure. And it's a different, different beast. It's a different world for sure. Yeah, I yeah. would love to get into a retreat center and do more of this work in person. Cause I know it'll land so much more powerfully. Definitely. I think people, I mean, I tell people all the time because they've asked if I can work rem- remotely and I'm like, yes, because energy doesn't have the confines of our human mind. But I still think like, I know that it's, I know that it's the same as if you're in front of me, but I think the client sometimes feels that it's more impactful if it's in person. Yeah. You know, so how can people get a hold of you? Well, I'd say the best way, the best way is through my website, rediscovermybody.com, but they can also reach me on Facebook. My Facebook page is Rediscover My Body or my YouTube channel, Rediscover My Body. And then I have this Instagram series, which is called Dating at 50, which is 30 days of dating, which is up right now. Today is day number eight. And that's on my Rediscover My Body Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. So there's multiple there's a ways lot going on. That's fun. Yeah, a lot going on. Lots of coals in the fire. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This is some really good information. Oh, my pleasure, Amy. Such a great, yeah, great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for joining me today on Women's Pelvis Wellness, where you can be heard. Because remember, if you're not being heard, you're not being helped. Please join my Facebook group by the same name, Women's Pelvis Wellness and join a community of women who are there for you to support you, guide you, and love you through your pelvic health struggles. Also, this is a great place to check out my new class schedule. Thank you for joining me in becoming a pelvis wellness warrior.